Today, I want to talk about playing, making the most of the hand life has dealt you. Father, I ask you to speak a word to us right now. Let your Holy Spirit come down and illuminate our hearts. Your word is so incredible. And today, as we begin this series and the first part of this, I pray that every single person here will find themselves in your word and find a place for your word to transform them. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Verse we've been using this whole year. What is your life from the book of James? Starting point for any endeavor is what do I have right now? Moses, what is in your hand? Jesus, all these people are hungry here. What do you have? Well, we only have two fishes and five loaves. Always starts with an assessment of where you are. And then Philippians 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, Paul says. One thing I do, forget things that are behind. Reach for what's ahead. Press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. This verse has absolutely seized my mind. I can't get it out of my mind. Upward call. Because nobody ever taught me that about God. I thought salvation was, you know, in God and Christ and and the cross, all of that was to get you out of this earth into heaven. It never occurred to me, and no one ever taught me, that my life was supposed to be responding to the upward call of God in every area of my life while I was still here. And Paul goes on to say, as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. That What mind are you talking about that we will have if we're mature? Well, you can forget the stuff that's behind. You can reach for what's forward. You can press... If you're mature, you're not going to sit around and wait for DHL to deliver it to you or UPS. And then secondly, you're going to figure it out sooner or later that God is for you and that every part of your life is supposed to be elevated. I want to ask you a question before I begin. Has anybody here ever played poker? Oh, just a few of you are being honest. I'm telling you, back away if lightning falls. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to condemn you. Any of you ever play poker? Oh, yeah, okay, that's better. Come on, wave your hand. Five-card stud poker. You know, what, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, poker. In many ways, poker is a metaphor for life. Gambling is a meta- metaphor for life. For example, in poker, you don't get to choose the cards you play, Right? You don't get to choose. Boy, if you could choose your cards, wouldn't that be great? Amen. In similar fashion, you don't get to choose your cards or what happens to you in life. When I talk about play your hand, you have to play the hand that is dealt to you. You don't get to choose that and say, this is what I want right here. Look at Matthew 25, 14 through 15. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And notice this, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately went on a journey. I remember when I first really looked at this shortly after getting saved many years ago. I don't know what strikes you when you read this, but what immediately struck me was, why did one guy get five and another guy get two and another guy get one? On the surface, it appears to be inherently unfair, and it appears that somebody is discriminating here. I mean, after all, aren't we supposed to treat everybody the same? And I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. But I want to tell you, life doesn't treat everybody the same. 
Not everybody gets the same hand. I'm going to tell you flat up front. You have suspected for a long time that life is not always fair. I won't tell you you're right. It's not always fair. It's not. Some people, number two, are dealt a better hand than or others. They receive more talents or abilities, as that text shows us in Matthew. But look at this now. John 1, 9, verses 1 through 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. You get that? Blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? What? That he was born blind. You mean he sinned before he was born? Here's the, the problem with this. When you start trying to figure things out that there are no simple solutions for, you come up with all kind of stuff that sometimes is completely irrational. You can't always find a logical explanation for everything that is going on in the world around you. And one of the things that you can't explain logically is why some people, their life seems to be lived at a plane or place that is better than or others. For example, I will never forget the first time I was in India in a, in a meeting years ago. Well, it wasn't the first time, but it was the first time it impacted me. Years ago, one of the doctors from our church, who's now worship leader at a church that we blessed them to go out and be a part of, that his brother-in-law was starting. He and I were there. We came to the roundabout in Mumbai, and right by the airport, a huge slum that was there, and they've dressed things up around there more recently over the last number of years. But there were all these chil children there that were begging. You've heard me tell the story. This little kid, about seven years old, tubercular square chest, and pipe stem arms and legs that looked like they weren't any bigger than my thumb. It, this guy, kid staggers out, and he's half blind, and he has his hand out, and I've got a few rupees, and I reach into my pocket. I'm in a taxi, and pull him out and get ready to give it to the kid. When they go through the roundabout, they didn't have stop signs. Roundabout's just a little circle, and you just force your way into it and keep going. And the taxi took off and left that kid standing there. And I was, it just moved me profoundly. And I turned to Dr. J, who was beside me, and I asked Dr. J, did you see that kid? He said, yeah. And I said, what do you think was wrong? He said, well, you could tell he was fevered just by his expression and He's suffering malnutrition, a little tubercular chest. It looks like he has tuberculosis or has had. And um, the way he was staggering, he's very weak. I said, and he said he may have malaria as well. And uh, I said, what do you think? He said, based upon just a quick glance at him, that kid could be dead in three days. And right then, it struck me. My grandson, Andrew, was seven years old. That's how long ago it's been. And I thought then, and tears ran down my face. I thought... By what grace of God was I born in America and not born in India? And why wasn't that my grandson standing right there instead of somebody else's? You tell me life is fair. Come on, help me out now. And they're saying, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed. You see, Jesus knew how the story would end. They didn't. And this guy was going through a test so he could have a testimony because God was going to bring him out of that. And Jesus knew, oh, about two minutes now, that guy's going to be no longer blind. He's going to see. And that's going to change everything. 
But there are some people that are walking through some stuff. And not only is poker a metaphor for life, and not only do you not get to choose the cards you play, and not only are some dealt a better hand than are others, we don't all start out in life with the same things either. Some go to a, a nice school. Some are raised in a privileged home. Both mom and both dad are there. And, you know, some have advantages others don't have. Others are raised in a ghetto with only their mom or maybe, you know, other circumstances. Might not even know who their parents are. What is it that makes things this way? And I want to tell you this up front. You are not judged by what you don't have. In life, you're only responsible for what you have. Amen. The guy that got two talents wasn't judged by what, he, what somebody did with five. He didn't have five. He's only going to have to give an account for what he received. So whenever you receive more, you're held accountable for more too. Amen. And I'll also point out that like gambling, life is filled with risks. Every day you risk something. It was a risk for you to get out of bed this morning. I wish I could hear an amen. It was a risk for you to get in your car and drive today. I know what I'm talking about. As many times as I've been rear-ended in this city, the surgeries I've had, <laughs> it's a risk to get on our freeways. You've, you, 12 inches or 14 inches between you and the next car. And you don't know if that person is intoxicated, high, crazy, or what. I'm serious. I read a study one time that like one out of, was it 48 or 65, some of you can correct me, drivers coming towards you is legally intoxicated. That is scary. It's a roll of the dice every time you get in your car. And, and it's not just that. You roll, roll the dice whenever you begin to look for a companion or spouse. You think you knew the person? <laughs> Come on, help me out here. Amen. Preach it, Pastor. I am. Amen. That's good preaching. You won't pat me on the back. I can do it myself. Amen. That's right. Seriously speaking, you took a risk whenever you chose to marry the person that, that you married or the job you went to or the house you're living in. Life is filled with risk. It's a gamble. Amen. And the truth of the matter is you can't ensure the outcome of everything before you get involved in it. You, you don't know how everything's going to turn out. We all are gambling. Where I'm from in Louisiana, gambling is a part of the culture too. Amen. With a lot of people. And you heard about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. They were watching the evening news. <laughs> and Boudreaux knew that Thibodeau was quite the gambler. And he loved to bet. So they saw a report on the 6 o'clock news of a man threatening to jump off the top of a tall bridge if his girlfriend didn't decide to go back to him. So Boudreaux looks at Thibodeau and he says, hey, Tib, he said, you watch this guy. He said, I bet you $40 he doesn't jump off that bridge. And Thibodeau thinks about it a little and replies and says, okay, Bood, I'll take that, that bet. And a few seconds later, the man jumped and Thibodeau pulls out his wallet, grumbling, grinding his teeth and hands Boudreaux the two twenties and Boudreaux chuckles and said, hey, Tib, I got to told you already something. Yeah, he said, I saw this earlier at the 12 o'clock news and I knew that man jumped. Amen. <laughs> 
And Thibodeau says, me too. I saw it on the 12 o'clock news. But I didn't think that guy was so much in love, he'd jump again the second time on, for the 6 o'clock news. <laughs> he loved that woman. Amen. The key to living a great life is to win with the hand you have been dealt. Not spend your life wishing you had somebody else's. Not complaining about the one you've got. Not fussing, getting angry at God, mad at God, mad at people. The key to being successful in life is to take what you have been given, whether it's five, two, one, whatever it is. Take your hand that life has dealt to you and make the most of it. And why are we, this, this begs the question because you're asking this, why are we dealt hands that are different? And why do some get a better hand than others and others get a raw deal? I want to say there are two reasons for that. The first is simply everything in this world is broken. And the second reason is you are uniquely made. I'll deal with the first reason and get to the second in just a little bit. Everything in this world is broken. There's only one thing in this world that is perfect, and that is the Word of Almighty God. Everything else is flawed. This is the one thing that exists in our world right now that we have in our possession that is not flawed or marred or damaged. It is the Word of Almighty God. It is perfect. It is the law of the Lord is perfect. Amen. Converting the soul. That's what the Bible said. Amen. This world around us is broken, it is fractured, it is flawed. Nothing here works perfectly. Not only does not your life work perfectly, nothing else does either. The weather doesn't work perfectly. It's broken. Ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden and brought the curse of sin upon this world, it has been a broken world. And people are making statements like, oh, if there was a God, why is there a hurricane over there and he killed all these people and a typhoon here and an earthquake here and, and all of these things happen? If there, it's because the world is broken. God didn't make it to be that way. He made it perfect. He looked at it and said, this is really good. It's we that are humanity that fell into sin that caused the world to be broken. The weather's broken, the climate's broken, the economy's broken, your health is broken, your bodies are not perfect. Man used to live forever or would have in the garden, but now we got diseases and we have children dying of cancer. And the age-old question is, why is there evil in the world? And the implication is, is that God made it that way. No, he didn't. Man brought it in at the result of being tempted of the devil. The world has been broke. And the story of the blind man points out that some people really do get a raw deal in life. How'd you like to be the guy born blind? Everybody else seen. Amen. You see, the problem is people keep looking for perfection here and they continue to be disappointed. You know why? Because as long as you're looking for perfection here, you're not going to find it. You're not. This world is not perfect. You're not perfect. Your relationships are not perfect. Your marriage is not perfect. Your husband, your wife, your kids, nothing is perfect. Not even your grandkids. I know you think they are, but nothing in this world is perfect. It's a fallen world. Amen. You see, this is what we've got to understand. 
It's not that we're going to make the world perfect. What happened is Jesus came to see that no matter what hand life has dealt you, he will turn it into a winning hand for you if you will allow him to. Amen. He can turn everything that's broken into, and still by the time he processes that, make it become a winning hand. The Bible is God's instruction manual on how to do this. And that's why you need the Word of God in your life. Last Sunday, I told you the average American spends 35 hours a week watching television. And I came to church today and saw a new study that reveals that, that the percentage of Christians who don't have time to read their Bible has skyrocketed dramatically. We'll get 35 hours to watch TV, but no time to read the Bible. And this is what causes our lives to be perfect our lives to be transformed. You see, we simply live in a world that is broken. And every one of us, as I said, is unique. And I'll get to that because that's the other thing here that, that determines whether you get the same hand somebody else gets or not is your uniqueness. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But there are five factors that actually determine your uniqueness and your individuality. And therefore, these five factors determine what hand you have been given. Number one, and I'll only get to two of these today. Number one is your biology. That's your chemistry, your chromosomes, your DNA, your hormones, your genes, your genetic makeup, your race, your gender, your build, your appearance, your race, and, uh, and other biological factors that make you who you are. Your particular biology is unique. Nobody else has the same biology. Nobody. Only you have the fingerprints you carry. If a retina scan were taken of your eye, no one else has that same retina scan. If your voice is put through a voice scope, or something to measure your, your voice waves, no one else, no matter how much they sound like you, has the same voice waves that you do. Every one of these is unique. They say that no, no, no two snowflakes are alike. I really haven't figured out how they determine that. How do you get all of the snowflakes at one time and put them in a laboratory and look at them? The, the fingerprint, I can accept. They've got a data bank with all that stuff in it. But the, the snowflake, not really sure about that. But I guess they know what they're saying there too. All I know is you're unique. Some have a high tolerance to pain. Some a low tolerance to pain. Mentioning Brother Patrick Guide, who has ALS. I, at one time, they thought that I might be developing that. And I've got a scar right here, just runs like this on my leg, right here on my thigh. Because I have such a high tolerance to pain, they thought something was wrong with me. What should have been like 10 on the pain scale for me was running around a 3 or a 4. And... Um, they, they was so abnormal, they thought that, that they needed to check me. They thought I had a neurological degenerative kind of disorder. And, and so they, they, the doctor told me, he said, I'm going to have to take a muscle biopsy, and it's going to be from your thigh, and I can't put you to sleep. And he said, because the, the anesthesia will affect this and will damage the tissue sample. And he said, for that reason, I can't even give you a painkiller right here. And he took his scalpel and he said, you're going to be awake and you're going to see all of this. And he said, do you want me to raise a sheet where you can't see it? And I said, no, I'd like to see what's going on. And so I watched while they took their scalpel and cut this five-inch incision across my thigh right here. 
And then they got these, I think they call them extractors, and they clamps or something. They start pulling that open and cutting that, and blood is spurting. And he's got this little electrical thing, and he's zapping all these blood vessels, and I'm smelling my flesh burn. And, and I'm watching that, and he said, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. And he cuts two and a half inches deep, and he gets some scissors, and he says, this is going to really hurt. And he takes his scissors and goes into this thing that he's got pulled open. And I'm watching all of this. And he cuts five samples out. And he says, do you feel that? I said, yeah. He said, what does it feel like? Pressure. And he said, most people are screaming their lungs out right now. And he said, that, that tells me something's wrong here. And, uh, you know, he said, you should be climbing the walls. And I'm just, let me see. Move your hand so I can see what's going on, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, you know, I wish I'd been a surgeon or something, you know. I'm watching all of this, and it turns out I didn't have that. It's just what happened is I've been through so much physical pain in my life that I have learned to turn pain off in a way that most people haven't. Pain is in the brain. Did you know that? It's all right here. You can turn it off if you want to. And I've learned to turn it off. Amen. And that's good. So some have a high tolerance to pain. Others a low tolerance. And some people have a predisposition toward lots of hair. See this right here? All of you that are jealous, sorry about that. Amen. Others lose their hair. Can I tell a, 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 a bald joke? You won't be offended. If you lose your hair in front, you're a thinker. If you lose your hair in back, you're a lover. You lose your hair in front and back, you think you're a lover. Amen. <laughs> so... <laughs> But I didn't get to vote on this. This is genetics. Amen. Just genetics. And you got things going for you that I don't have. And, and some people have a fast metabolism and can eat a whole German chocolate shake, cake and never gain an ounce. Others walk right by the bakery window and just glance over and look in. And they do like Buddy Love becoming Professor Clump. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the nutty professor just... Wrong, just, it just gained 15 pounds walking by. Some people are predispositioned to back problems or heart problems or diabetes or cancer runs in their family. Others are born with a high IQ. Others maybe not as high. Others have natural athletic ability. Others not. Some have a great singing voice. Others do not. Some people wear glasses. Others don't need them. Some are tall. Others are short. And you see, here's the thing. None of that is right or wrong and this is where oftentimes we have failed to understand what is really underneath racism racism isn't even really about color it's an inordinate belief that whatever I am and others like me are that we're right and others are not quite what we are it's not, that's not true it's not right or wrong amen hear what I'm trying to tell you now you don't need to have inordinate pride in your flesh, no matter if it's black, white, polka dot, or whatever it is. This flesh will get you in trouble before the day is over with because it's broken. Amen. And here's what I'm trying to communicate to you. It's not about life being fair either. If any of these particular things I've mentioned have happened in your life, and it's not about it being unfair either. Some people have a chemical imbalance and suffer from bipolar disorder, manic depressive disorder. Have you ever known anyone like that? Have anybody in your family? Maybe somebody here that does. We had a guy here that is going to be with the Lord, was, was killed. They think it was actually foul play. He was driving himself to the hospital. 
when he, he bled out on the side of the road, just broke my heart. Robert Kinney loved Robert. Robert struggled for years with a bipolar disorder. I'd go and visit him in Veterans Hospital. He was a big old guy, about six foot four, six foot five. He was a mountain of a man, too. And fourth degree Hapkido black belt. I mean, this guy, he was bad to the bone if he wanted to be, but just a gentle giant. And at all of those years, he struggled, and I'd go, and he'd be miserable, and in the depths of despair and depression, and they finally got his medication leveled out, and he was, he was, he was so happy, and, and his life began to be lived on an even keel, and it, all it was was that his body was not producing enough of one little tiny chemical. He didn't get to vote on that. Amen. And this is why I'm saying that it's not whether it's, it's right or wrong either. Because, you see, we have a tendency to feel like some things are worse than others, you know? Like, okay, I've got a hormonal imbalance and, and uh, something other, and that makes me produce too much cholesterol or, 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 or something. But if the hormonal imbalance is in the mind, then we, oh, that, that's something wrong there. It, you know, we categorize that as worse. It's not. It's all from the same broken body. I'll give you an example. Amen. Some have great hearing, others not. Am I right? Amen. You heard about the old guy who his family and friends were having to holler at him to be heard. And, and so they talked him into going to see a doctor and having a hearing test. And sure enough, he had irreparable hearing loss. However, the good news was there was this little hearing aid that could fit way inside the ear that would remarkably improve his hearing and almost restore it to normal. And so the doctor gave him one to try and said, come back in a month and let me know how it's doing. So he came back and the doctor said, tell me, how's it going? He said, I can hear everything. And the doctor said, well, I bet your family and friends are pleased that you, you, th that you can hear now because they don't have to raise their voices and yell all the time for you to hear them. And the old guy said, I haven't told them yet. And he, the doctor said, what do you mean? He said, well, now I just sit around listening. And you know I've changed my wheel three times already on the basis of what I heard. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Some people I wrote right out of that mouth. Some people produce more oxytocin than others do. You know what oxytocin is? It's the chemical that causes us to connect to people. It's the relationship chemical. All these years they had, you know, people stuff, people talking about wish I had a love portion and all of this. And it was even a song years ago. Y'all remember that? Love portion number nine or something like that? Okay. Well, guess what? There really is a chemical that makes you bond to other people. And study after study has shown it to be the so-called bonding or love hormone that enhances and deepens emotional attachments. It's a chemical, for example, that a mother produces when she's nursing a baby at her breast. And at the same time, the baby produces that chemical when he's nursing at his mother's breast. And that's what causes mom and baby to bond together. Amen. And that's why dads, no matter what you do, they're going to always come to you for money. But when they get hurt and you come see dad, they're going to go right around you and go straight to mama. Amen. It's just the way they're bonded. That's, that's the way it is. Amen. We have to live with it. Oxytocin is the chemical that causes relationships and people to connect at a deeper, more meaningful level. And if you don't have it, your relationships will always be shallow. Amen. People that have relationships that are satisfying and trusting produce the right amount of oxytocin. And on the other hand, it's the chemical that is also produced when a man and a woman, husband and a wife, I should say, have sex and make love, which is why God prohibits sex outside of marriage, because this 
chemical is produced and it bonds you to the person that you're sleeping with. And this is the beginning of where soul ties originate. And so you get bonded to the person that was not meant to be in your life. And a little part of you goes there. And it's like that old song by Paul Young years ago. Every time you go away, you take a piece of me with you. And so all of the fractured relationships and people leaving you, you weren't supposed to be connected to, but you're connected and bonded to them now, and your heart's being fractured and divided and cut down smaller and smaller, amen, all the time. And they've even discovered that, that when you're playing and spending time with your pet, as few as 10 minutes with a pet, your body begins to produce oxytocin, and it does in the dog, dog also or the cat. And you wonder why somebody can die and leave $500,000 to their dog. That's why. I read about a lady the other day that died and left, I think it was $78,000 to her cat. And I wanted to go, meow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Oxytocin bonds them together. Amen. Some people do not produce enough oxytocin. And therefore, their relationships are shallow. Other people produce too much. This is a fact. They've proven it over and over again. And those that produce too much become hypersensitive to people's feelings toward them. There are other things that make them hypersensitive, such as insecurities and the way they were brought up and, and so forth and not having been shown or reflected value as a child. But some people, I mean, they watch your expressions and even an expression that you had no relevance to your relationship with them, they see that and they think that that's rejection uh, from you on their, uh, toward them. I actually, have, I think I've told you, I knew an evangelist and his wife, and she was nine months pregnant, and they were preaching in a church in Fort Worth, Texas, and I knew the pastor and his wife, and the pastor's wife was fragile, and she had been wounded. She played the piano, and the evangelist's wife was a tremendous singer and great organist and nine months pregnant in that little church they had her playing the piano and uh, rather the organ and the pastor's wife on the piano and the lady that was nine months pregnant she grimaced because I guess the baby kicked her or something it, just a pain and she when she did that she was looking at the pastor's wife well she didn't ask the baby to kick her then but the pastor's wife was so sensitive to that that she became upset and thought that she had frowned at her in front of the whole church on the platform and got into this huge fight about it and they actually had to close the revival down because that lady misunderstood what that grimace was about and no explanation could change things either even though she was a mother and had been through all of that birth kind of thing herself in the nine months and all of that she had already lived through on, on her own what I'm trying to say is some people are really sensitive. You, you know anybody like that? Did that person get to vote? No. Did you get to vote that you would not have meaningful relationships? No. Did you get to vote that you would be overly sensitive? No, none of those things. And, and this is what I'm talking about. You need to always bear this one thing in mind. No flaw is sinful. I, I need to say it again. No flaw is sinful. You're real slow to answer that. And I know what you're thinking. Am I condoning sin? I said, no. Listen, 
I want you to understand what, what I'm really trying to communicate here. No flaw is sinful, whether it's emotional, mental, or physical. You can't say a guy's a sinner because he, his body doesn't produce enough of a certain chemical that it keeps his hormones balanced properly. You can't. Here's what I'm trying to say. What it means is that I'm not a sinner because I'm tempted, but I'm tempted because I am a sinner. Big difference. You may have all of these urges or, or uh, you know, tendencies towards certain things, but that's the power of the gospel. Under the blood of Jesus and through the power of the cross, we can harness all of these broken things and, and God can turn them into a winning hand. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say hallelujah. What I'm saying is, God can make a winner out of your circumstance and you make you a winner no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you're dealing with. Anyone will tell you that this brokenness is actually important in our lives from the perspective of other things. For example, if you've ever looked at antiques, do you know what makes antiques valuable? Amen? Take one that is old with its flaws and then go restore it and see what it's worth. Refinish it. You just destroyed the value of it. I was raised in marshes in Louisiana where they used hand-carved wooden decoys. The duck hunters did. My granddad was a market hunter and professional outdoorsman and guide. And you know what they did? They came up with these plastic decoys. And these old wooden ones were heavy, and you put them in a gunny sack, grass sack, and carried them, threw them in the P-roll. They got broken. They got chipped. They got shot with shot, bird shot from your gun and had holes in them and, and all of that, and the paint was scraped and faded. And, and you know what? When they came up with the plastic ones, that was the best thing that ever happened because they were so light. And these market hunters would trade in a wooden one for a plastic one, wooden one for a plastic one. And now I collect a few of those old wooden decoys. And you know some of those, not the ones I have, but some of those are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you refinish one, you just destroyed it. They just sold one the other day for over $1 million. One hand-carved decoy. Can you believe it? What makes it valuable is its uniqueness, its individuality. But if you go to messing with that, it's not worth anything. You know about my, my interest in music because I've shared it with you. And, and years ago when I bought my first guitar, I bought it was either a 62 or 64 Fender Stratocaster. And, and it got banged up going from gig to gig and scraped up and all of that and trunks of cars and, and, and trailers and things of that nature and, and in clubs and all of that. And when I got saved, I told you why I quit playing because I, I got called into ministry. Plus, I, they didn't like me playing some of the music I enjoyed and I thought was good music. And, and uh, amen. And, and so I gave my guitar to my brother-in-law, Jerry's second to young, uh, oldest brother. And he took it and those scrapes and stuff, he decided he wanted to repaint it. He passed away not long ago and went to be with the Lord. And, and you know, in the meantime, I got interested in guitar again. And, and I just checked to see what that old guitar was worth. You know what I found out? If he had not repainted it, it would be worth twenty-five dollars to $30,000. And I had paid three hundred and fifty dollars for it. But the fact that he repainted it made it worth very, very little. 
The second thing that I want to point out is that not only is this world broken and that, that you are uniquely made and that, that your biology determines that uniqueness, but another thing that determines that uniqueness is your relationships. Can I hear somebody say praise the Lord? This includes your family, your friends, your associates, those you work with, you socialize with. Amen. Study after study has shown that when you grow up feeling unloved and unappreciated, it damages you. And you actually begin to think about yourself, what the most important people in your life are thinking, of, or at least what you think they think about you. If you think they don't admire you, you don't admire yourself. You begin to view yourself in the way you think these significant persons in your life view you. And so if you grew up feeling disconnected or unloved, it's because... You probably grew up with somebody that, that didn't know how to show you the love that you needed. And many people raised in that circumstance have a very hard time connecting in a meaningful way. They also have, what's this, a profound sense of not having any direction for their life. They don't feel they have vision for their life. If you have healthy relationships in your life, look, you don't go around questioning your purpose or whether or not you matter. There are four responses that people have in life, four attitudes they develop based on what they're going through and the way you look at other people and yourself. One of these four things, you'll find yourself here. Number one, I'm okay, or rather, I'm, not, I'm okay, but you're not okay. Amen. That, that's the guy that says, you know, uh, you know I, I've got it all together, but you don't. Really, that is actually kind of tricky because that's a defense mechanism and a defense mechanism is hiding pain it's protecting something and when you see somebody that comes across as arrogant and proud and looks at you like you don't have any value what they're really doing is covering up an inner woundedness that they don't want to make themselves vulnerable by allowing to be seen amen and it manifests itself as arrogance, but that person is really severely damaged. What we call pride is really usually deep-seated insecurity. The other person says, I, you're okay, but I'm not okay. That's hero worship. And you look at the world today. Have you ever seen such a crazy world? They're worshiping everybody. That tells me two things. Number one, most people don't aspire to much in life. If you can watch a reality show and be captivated by the Kardashians, you don't have much of a life that you're living or much you're aspiring to. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I, I'm your friend. My name is Rich. I'm trying to help you, okay? Hello. We're buddies on all that. Mm, amen. Got you back. But I'm going to help you here. And, you know, I heard about a child the other day that sold their own bedroom set to get VIP tickets to go hear uh, Ariel, some pop singer, and have a VIP ticket, sleeping on an air mattress on the floor. Most, all of this hero worship, that bothers me because what it says is that most people never aspire to greatness themselves and they've decided to live it vicariously through their hero. And what they're really doing is saying, that person's okay, but I'm not okay. The third outlook is when a person says, I'm not okay and you're not either. Let's both go get a drink, amen. We're all in trouble. And there are people that are like that. That's that guy in that theater in Lafayette, Louisiana. I'm not okay. You're not okay. We all ought to check out. Amen. 
And then the fourth outlook on life is the only one that's biblical. And I'll get back in touch on these next week. But the fourth outlook is I'm okay and you're okay too. And that means that you are fulfilling Jesus' command where he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever thought about it? You can't love somebody if you don't love you first. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel heals you on the inside. It's the upward call of God. Amen. It takes whatever hand you've been dealt in life and transforms it into a hand with which you can win and make your life count. You don't have to spend the rest of your life wishing you had somebody else's hand.